Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 200th episode of the Something Something podcast. With me, as always, is Larry Sands. How's it going, Larry? Oh, man, it's great. I can't believe 200. 2000. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, I can't believe it. When we talked about doing this, you know, we were wondering how are we going to do it? And I was like, you know what? We need someone to host it. And I thought, why not get the third wait, host? Wait. Well, right. But but really, I mean, we were going to get what? Who were we trying to get? Mark Wahlberg? Um, yeah, he turned us down. Ryan Sequest was an almost. Right. Well, he was busy. He was getting ready for New Year's Eve. That's what they told us. Yeah. So, and taking over Will of Fortune and then all the other stuff he does. But no, that's right. no joking around. I'm going to get serious for a minute. Um, a lot of the people we've had on, you know, we've become friends with, but yes. what, you know, we'll say now, Dylan Tillman, hey, how's it going, Dylan? Yeah, it's going. Woo woo. Um, yeah, we were yeah. from another mother. Right there. I love when you said this is the 200 episode, you count it to 2000. I want you to know that. That's oh, why my add extra zero? Like, two, zero, zero, zero. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, out of all the guests we've had on, Dylan's been the most important to me because it went from just, you know, social media friends to someone I do consider my little brother. I mean, I love this guy so much. And each victory you have in life, I'm always so more proud and happy for you than you are yourself. So we couldn't think of a better person to do the host. I mean, and we need the restart smells like teen horror eventually. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We're Well, I'm sure we'll get into it because this is going to be a very laxed episode. Yeah. So, you know, this is the type of thing where it's like, if you're listening, you should be listening to this at like freaking 9 a.m. in the morning. You're making your cup of coffee. You're just chilling <laughs> out, putting this on in the background. It's, that's, that's how laxed and yes. relax this is going to be but yeah i've i've known these two idiots for far too long in my life now he's talking uh, about you eric don't talk yeah. about eric like that <laughs> that's yeah. the nice way he see everybody else knows the squeaky clean dylan right i get the other dylan you know that no one else knows about yeah i mean yeah look, look dylan honestly you know I, I met you when we started doing Smells Like Teen Horror. And then obviously the kind of impact that you've had, not just on on me, but Eric. My God, you came all the way to Texas and you were in, in a twice. movie. He did it twice, I want to point out. It's amazing. I, let me tell you, let me tell you, if there, if I can make it happen, I will try to make it happen. I love it. Uh, I love it. Re regardless, if it's for people, the best decision I ever did was not listen to my parents when they said, don't talk to strangers. Because all <laughs> I do is talk to strangers. And now I talk to them on the internet. And it's great. I think it's a great advice. I would happily bestow that on Punk to a Kiss. You know what? Yes, get into the little white van with candy. It might taste good. <laughs> <laughs> you might have now, a you got all, now because of this we're gonna put links are in the bottom of the description so you know like if if you feel like the need to hit up dylan tillman to be your best buddy or i don't know lover Probably. who knows 
Yes, I can't tell you how much time I spend chatting online with other, with just pe other people. Um, but my mom might text me, and I'd be like, "I'll get to her later." <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. I love <laughs> tell it. you. I love, you know, it, and it's it's obviously you know we we've been busy, and I'm you know, and we don't normally you know get to talk and just hang out because it's like, hey, what's up? Hey, I gotta go. Hey, what's up? What what what? But this is this is how it is, people. When we get on the phone, anytime we get near each other, this is what it is. This is this is a true, this is a true friendship right here. So, and it's yeah. usually two of us double teaming to make fun of the other person, but then a minute later it reverses. <laughs> Like me and Larry could be making fun of Dylan, then me and Dylan will switch and make fun of Larry, then Larry Wait. and Dylan will make fun of me. Wait, yeah. What? You guys yeah. make fun of me? Larry, keep up. Keep up now. Oh, yeah, okay. Don't you know, like, I just want to point this out. In order to get Larry to read a script, it's kind of like getting a five-year-old to eat vegetables. I got to hold them down on the chair and Dylan has to start reading to him. And still, yeah. like, no, but no, like, hey, Larry, no. we're going we're gonna to do a podcast episode. It's like, okay, yeah, get on here. All right. So open up to page one. Now we're going <laughs> to read a script. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, you got to do what you got to do. Oh, I mean, man. yeah. So, oh, um, God. Uh, oh yeah, I, I miss this, you guys. I miss so and, and, I, and and it is a good thing because it's like Eric was saying, you know, our two hundredth episode, which is big. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, reruns come out of what a hundred episodes on on TV. Yeah, we were in syndication a while ago. Right, right, right. Now we're in double syndication. Yeah. Um, but but honestly, you know, to have you as because because like. It it was weird when Eric and I were talking about, well, we interview each other, right? But then we were like, no, we should have Dylan do it because he's really good and he's a really good friend. And and I mean, you you know everything that we've been doing. And so yeah. who who better to do it than than a very good friend? So thank yeah. you. Thank you. Always, always. Thank you. So how how so we've talked nothing about like any questions that you have. We haven't really talked about the the show. So Eric, you're the mastermind, or maybe Dylan. Dylan's you, Dylan's in charge this? tonight. Yeah, yeah, I am in charge. So <laughs> sit down, be quiet, and you're telling it's time to listen to this <laughs> voice. All right, but yeah, no, how this is going to work, uh, listeners, is pretty much it's going to be like, I guess, this is actually something you would probably do in episode one, I guess, maybe, or episode two, but we're doing it in episode 200. Uh, we're uh, allowing you to get to finally get to meet us, know us, like what our lives kind of look like outside the cameras when they're turned off, uh, I guess, or a recording thing. I don't know. Why did they make me leave this, y'all? Hopefully <laughs> Um, so, uh, we're, I'm just going to ask them a few, ask them a few questions. Uh, they've got the space. They can be as long winded as they like. Uh, you know how to fast forward if they bore you. Okay. So don't, you don't have to tell us. Okay. <laughs> the algorithm's never going to, we're never, they're never going to know. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. So my first question, honestly, we're, we're jumping right to the leaderboard, Mr. Eric. Okay. Uh, so um, I was thought you live up north. Yeah. I was just wanting to say, first off, uh, how's it been 
you know, this year? How's it been? Because you live in a different, because when we met you, you were gobsmacked by the amount of driving that had to happen. So I just always like to get from a northerner's perspective, you know, just the lifestyle that is going on up north, because, you know, some of us simple folks have to drive everywhere we go. Well, see, here's the thing. Now I usually will take an Uber or have my mom drop me off. But when I lived in L.A., man, I can still get you on any bus or subway you want. And here's a weird thing. My bus that I used to take to get from my place to church was 181. No, 180 or or bus 180. Now, horror fans know how terrifying the numbers 180 are. I know. Flight 180, Final destination. Yep, flight 180. Eric's trying to do math right now. I, I, no, Larry was trying to do math. He's like, I'm trying to figure out what he's talking about. Like, I, I can figure this out. 180, 180. I feel like I'm supposed to know this. I can, I, I can see the wheels turning in his head. You, you know what? The thing about where Eric lives up in Jersey, it, it blew my mind. And I'm a simple person, but when you walk out of his house and you walk up to the the main street, you can see the outline of Manhattan. Yeah. And I thought I thought that was the coolest thing because because you live right there, you know, what, 20 minute bus ride, 25 uh, minute, a 25 minute bus ride out of Manhattan. Yeah. And and to be that close, but yet so far away, I think that's like the ultimate thing. Um, and I just want to say that. But then also, I love the subway. I love the subway system. I wish there was a subway that went to your house to Manhattan. But. Yeah, so do I. But I when I one of the weird things about being in Texas for me was all the driving that has to be done. Oh, yeah. And it's like, how does a state not have a mass transit system? Oh no. No, it's too it's too big. No, no. When you you do go like obviously LA and New York and big here there's Dallas and Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, there is a transit system, but I don't think it's anywhere as near. um, And it's probably all important, but I think people overlook it because everybody has cars. Yeah. Right. Or or some other um, like a motorcycle, I guess a vehicle. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like outside of like maybe there's like a few Greyhounds if you really need to go from one place to another. But ultimately, the transit operation options that they offer especially for us southern folks uh it's just mainly just to get around from point a to point b within the inner city for the most part um so yeah and i can i'm probably speaking for larry too here uh southern folks we're just accustomed to having our own vehicle it's just always grain to us so for me getting on a subway or taking like you're talking about 180 bus and i'm like well what i like i get what i get the 180 but i don't get like the the i'll never understand like a trans a map like <laughs> okay, that okay okay yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but i do understand like my car and like yeah, the, yeah. uh how to get from like okay so and i, I don't know maybe part of me kind of likes being able to drive yeah it doesn't it sucks that i can't just walk out of my house take a right and like boom there's a gas station or something if i need to yeah. go buy something to eat you yeah. know yeah. 
Yeah. We don't really yeah. have that luxury. We have to get in the car and maybe drive five minutes right. um, or whatnot. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we Southern folks. Um, so Larry is down in uh, Texas. Yep. So, you know, where it's, he's very close to Hades. Um, it's very <laughs> yeah, always all the hot. Time. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, there's never a, a, a wind, there's never a fall or a spring. It's either super hot or mildly cold which i love the mildly cold right i would not survive um (laughs) yeah i chose to live at the beach okay so when it gets mild it does and we get cold here that doesn't make sense (laughs) it doesn't make sense okay i live in north carolina um i live on the coast i was always told that like oh at the beach it's the beach so i was expecting for texas weather okay i want to be close to hades so when i die it's like i'm not taking that many steps down okay i'm already oh. happy <laughs> <laughs> well, you do like horror movies so you know I you can't like be horror. a christian and like horror movies <laughs> right that's what they say although that, you know that that's one of the things is i love to tell people any anytime anywhere especially on the show on our on the podcast is is I get a kick out of saying or hearing Eric say, yeah, you know, we met at church and and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you just said we met at church and you're like one of the biggest horror people <laughs> and you write about killing teenagers. That's hilarious. Because I almost became a youth pastor. Dylan's worked in youth ministry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I write too. <laughs> I don't write killing teenagers. I write killing men particularly. <laughs> I just like trauma. I like to just kill people's trauma and no gaslight people's trauma. That's what I like to do. There you go. So yeah, put me in. Yeah, they were like, you probably put put us. You probably put put us. Me and Eric in a you know massive church role. Uh, We'll be like, have you heard of Scream? You know, one thing I always thought would have been so much fun if we would have done youth ministry together. Like, could you imagine us going to a camp with kids? You know, one of us would have been dressed as Jason walking through doing checkout. The way I would tell the Blair Witch, like a story <laughs> around the campfire. Like, come on now. Don't tease me with a good time, Eric. I actually think that this is supposed to be our life. I think we, we should more. start it. We should start a church, you know, or just get a job as youth ministers somewhere. Look, I'm already a Swifty. I've got a cult behind me. We got this. I can get some people at a campsite tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We're good. We're good. I love so, it. I love but, it. But yeah. Um, so talk about, I guess, living in Texas, uh, Larry. I, wa- I wanted to break the ice by I just talking about our locations because that's, you know, they asked me if I wanted to do this yesterday, listeners also. So I was like, yeah. sure, we can do this. <laughs> well, like Texas, I, I do like, I love Texas, grew up here, then I moved to Los Angeles. I miss Los Angeles dearly. But one of the things, and I think Eric, that that you may agree with and i i know you've said it before is i think moving away from from california has probably well i know has has really uh started me working full-time doing film doing video um uh editing doing sound design whatever whatever has come up um, in the last, you know, four years, really 
um, is because of of the move, I should say, because, no. you know, when you're when you're surrounded, it's like being in a candy store. It's like, you know, when you have so much candy that you don't know what to choose and all these sea of filmmakers and actors you're you've become not just you've become just another face in the sea of people when when auditions roll around when 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 things come up i think one of the big things about you know living here i i, I wish it could be colder but you know i got a lot of sweaters and jackets from my california days that i don't get to use except a couple times a year but having said that it's it is a big thing because you know when you when you have to wait for other people and it's almost like you have to have a permission thing right almost where you well, oh you have to cast me okay i'll just wait i'll wait right yeah. but um i don't know if that answers your question but but i think you know being here in texas it's different it's a lot different um different in in good ways um but yeah miss miss you know being in los angeles with all our film uh friends and and family that had become friends so yeah yeah well i have a question for both of you um since neither of us really come from major cities like you know new jersey is really more of a midwest state i mean you know the new york realistically couldn't be further do you think that the way we work is our work ethic really comes from where we are being from working class areas on um, Dylan. Actually, that was where I was going to go to next. Uh, okay. I love that. See, I know these, these guys too much. They already can probably <laughs> predict where I'm going to go. Um, um, because yes, I actually think, because I think there's this uh, logic ingrained to us as a kid. Well, if you want to make it in Hollywood, you have to live in Hollywood right. or you have to live in New York. And I think that we're starting to finally see the fruit that that's not exactly the true. Um, and I and I don't think even if I wasn't even trying as hard as I am or trying as hard as we are, we could see that that's actually not necessarily true. Independent films have been shot all around the globe. They don't just get shoot in two places, you know. Um, and I live in Wilmington, North Carolina, where they shoot a lot. They do shoot a lot of stuff here. We have Scream 5, Halloween Kills, Dawson's Creek, One Tree Hill, like a what, bunch. What of- show? What show? A little Dawson's Creek. The greatest TV show in the history of mankind. I didn't know that you like to slide that in at some point. So during a pot, during an episode. Eventually, so- I'm going to do a thing how the WB, which uh, let's be honest, was the most important TV network ever. Every horror movie from 97 so the early 2000s connects to the WB or Dawson's Creek in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree. And the most important show to ever come out was Buffy. So that's that. Yes. Yeah, it was Buffy. Awesome. Uh, we 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 support her. We stand her. We we worship Buffy. Um, but go on, so, though. I was, you know, a joke, but go on. Yeah. So um, I think that... Um, yeah, I would say that it doesn't necessarily matter where you live if you want to get into making movies or shoot, even if you wanted to get in, not do independent films and you wanted to jump into the Hollywood scene. Uh, I think that movies are being shot in almost every state nowadays. Um, so if you live, you might have to drive a little bit, but if you don't live 
up in Jersey with Eric or in, you know, you more than likely also have a car. So you're probably content with driving, you know, more than likely three hours for a shoot or something like that. Um, but like, you don't, even if, yeah, if you're just trying to get into like the Hollywood game, you know, yeah, there are movies being shot everywhere and, you know, you just keep a look at your local newspaper or your online ads for maybe extra roles or PAs, um, because obviously that's probably going to be your best bet starting off, mm -hmm. um, especially if you don't have anything on a resume. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did. So <laughs> like any other person, I just took any extra role and then any PA role on some in person's independent project that was being shot in town. And then, oh, well, now I've done that stuff. I guess if a Hollywood thing pops up, I can do that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's just kind of how like I've been doing it. And, you know, you do it on your free time with your other jobs, you know, might have to take a little bit of time off, use a PTO day. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, listening, Eric, and you know as well as I do that every, every, everybody that we've ever interviewed here on the show, and Dylan, you just to echo what you said, like every author, every musician, every actor, you know, uh, they, they don't live in Hollywood. They don't live in Los Angeles. And look at what they're doing. Because <clears throat> again, to echo, you know, what you said, Dylan, is everybody, even even filmmakers nowadays, they don't need to be anywhere, but they're present in their craft. And wherever they are in their city or community, because and you don't even need this is a big one. Your cell phone is enough and they have free editing software yeah. out there that you can pick up the camera and you can hone your craft just where you are. You know, now, echo that, Larry. Da Vinci Resolve. Mm -hmm. Now, again, editors are very loyal to their software. Yes. Like, yes, I'm yes. a big Premiere guy, but yes. Resolve, man, you can do everything. Even the free version, you can do everything in it. Like, if I want to do effects... I got to transfer that Premiere thing to After Effects, which is a headache. But in Resolve, really, you just click the other thing. You know, this is odd because it, this takes me back to remember when Final Cut 7 was finishing and it was almost. Oh, my God. The DOA, revolt. Dead in the water. Right. <laughs> exactly, Dylan. And 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 and, and I didn't I, I don't really like Final Cut 10. But and you were like, no, you got to try Premiere. And I'm like, all right, great, fine. I did it and didn't look back. So I love it. And I can tell you where I was. I was in Los Angeles. I think it was a couple of years ago. I was shooting right in the middle of something. And we had we were doing a podcast talking about Premiere. And then I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Switched over. Um, uh but I have to try DaVinci Resolve because, you know, other than because not a whole lot of people have Premiere or Adobe, but they'll go with, you know, DaVinci Resolve because it's free. And to hear you say that you can do effects without having to have, you know, After Effects and things like yeah, that. Yeah, everything's in there. More fast because that's to me, that's what it is, is is being a good filmmaker is, you know, obviously shooting it. But then 
editing in a fast, expedient way, make it nice, because not everybody, you know, has or everybody you work with, they don't have the time to wait for two or three months on a commercial or whatever, a promo. And so that that's good to try. So everybody out there, you're a filmmaker, pick up your phone and then use DaVinci Resolve. It's absolutely free. Yeah. Absolutely. And shoot, that also goes with writing software. So if you're not even trying to be a director and you're trying to write, I mean, my goodness, yeah, there are you. so many um, writing platforms, whether it's down to like Fade In or Final Draft or a bunch of different things that are offering either a discounted rate or, hey, they might even be completely free or something like that. Um you know, um, you just got to know where to look, where you can like learn. And I and I recommend personally downloading that stuff because, I mean, you the best way that I've learned anything is not within the classroom. It's just been the trial and error of exactly. myself yeah. out on a film set and being like, hey, look, this person's not doing this. We can't use them today. We need you to do this today. All right. Give me a, let me play around um like just or like okay we want i need to learn how to write a montage sequence okay well let me just play around like i can write a bunch of fake montage sequences yeah. like what works for me that i can comprehend what's going on in the scene because um i am a student of public education whether i like it or not baby in the south so i didn't really get you know the 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 New York and right. L A level <laughs> of grandeur of school education. Okay, don't quiz me on they, their, them's and stuff like that. I might struggle. same same exactly. here. I hate that there's three ways to spell two. Exactly, it, it makes no damn sense. Okay, why the hell are there silent letters? Oh exactly. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Knife. <laughs> Yeah, and let me tell you, you don't, and what we're saying is, is like, yeah, you don't have to like be a scholar to to make it and your quality and your quality can still be good because right. let me tell you, even when it comes to like watching something, if there's passion behind it, most people it will always find an audience. That's why right. Rob Zombie is as, as popular as he is with some of his films, because yeah. he might have some rough edges here and there, but like his films are popular because he has like personality that pops up on a, on a project yeah. on a film. You know, that, that brings up a very good point because I think, cause you know, Eric and I, we started our podcast obviously to stay in contact, but which with each other, when, when we had drifted apart and to come back and, and keep up with each other. And now it's evolved into this really creative, space where where creative people can come on talk about their projects talk about their passion their difficulties because it is hard it's very hard to be a creative person not just in LA but you have the creative vibe going on but but when you live in the south right any any in any midwest town where where it's a blue collar town they look at creative people not in the same way, right? And it's yeah. and it's kind of hard to get in that headspace. But and I think that's where at least I and I think maybe Eric does too, in a way, is to to show people that they can do and be creative where they are. It just it takes a lot. And they're not alone in this. Whether you live in New York or Los Angeles, it's all hard. 
It's mm-hmm. just being out of your head. But then Dylan, you, you have a great perspective on filmmaking and what you see works and obviously what doesn't. But when you go to these festivals and you talk to these filmmakers, I mean, you see all their blemishes and oh, they're yeah. in film festivals, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of film, as we all know, I do a lot of film festival scenes. Uh, legally, I am considered a film critic, but yeah. to talk about it on, but I do this, like, this is my, my thing is speaking. I'm not a great writer necessarily but i can speak very well and i know how to articulate what i'm saying so a lot of times yeah i go to these film festivals and my way of just getting into the industry has just been running my damn mouth and i love that okay i am an extrovert i'll throw myself in any situation i'll do so that's just been how i've been able to get it and i'm and you don't have to be an extrovert your three friends that you have Take tag them along with everything. One of them yeah. is bound to be the, the the public speaker. They can take care of that. You can just you know do what you've got to do. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of traveling, so that's been kind of my blessing. Um, and because I've been doing a lot of traveling, I've been net in a sense. I just network with all these people, and I just start you know making connections. And then when and if you're not one all, and what I've learned in life is if you're not a 100% dick all the time, sometimes what comes around goes around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe somebody will call you up when you're crying and be like, I didn't get Taylor Swift tickets. You know, how we would you like some Taylor Swift tickets? And, you know, like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how much did I send you? <laughs> you know, exactly. Some stuff like that might happen. So, yeah, yeah. the rule of the thumb is don't always be a dick um because there are plenty of dicks out there in the world okay yes in between people's legs and walking among us as (laughs) um so yeah yeah you you know what i love and eric i know you were about to say something but i think it's this is what i love is collectively we've really taken youtube and podcasting and turned it into a career and and what I mean by that, and this is this is what I love, is to be able to talk to people about what they do, but and also have people contact us and hire us to yeah. to shoot, edit, create podcasts, create audiobooks. And 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 really it started out how it's supposed to start out. Nowadays you watch YouTube. And they make everything look so easy. Then people go do it and they're like, man, this is not that easy. But and and Dylan, like, you know, Eric and I, we've been you know, he's Eric's been filmmaker a lot longer than me. I started in acting. But you you started doing YouTube in almost really the infancy. But but you you are the epitome as well as I think we are in that. We've shown our our worth, I think, you know, uh, by yeah. podcasting, YouTubing to get to where we're at this place now where we've got people going, hey, would you come to my film festival for you? Or, hey, Larry and Eric, I hear you guys do podcasts. I You produce podcasts. Yeah. Are you guys available to talk about? And I think that in an essence is is the way that things should work. Obviously, this is our passion. 
right? Mm-hmm. Collectively being out there and, and talking and, and doing what we love, but then turning that passion into an actual career where we make a little bit of money, actually a lot of money. Let's not fool each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but- no, exactly. And this is great because it's going to segue into the next segment I wanted to talk about, which is work. Um, but yeah, I, I came from an era of YouTube, which, which I like to call the trial of the trial and the trial era where you just <laughs> did whatever you just threw it out there and that you kind of just learned as you went along. That's kind of why I'm glad I was, I, I started on the YouTube. I started in 2010. Okay. Yeah. This was not cool in 2010. 100%. Yeah. 100% not cool. I almost sometimes get a little mad uh people and it's all jealousy and all just inner you know like how like everybody now wants to do this and i'm like baby i was not this <laughs> not cool back in 2010 okay all right so but um so i just agree with all of that assessment and it is cool because now we do make a little bit of money in fact i just got like now i start getting asked what's my rate Ooh, what so what awesome, yeah what's your rate not I love it we're going to uh, we've got this for this fee. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, you're telling right. me, you yeah. asking me, my rate. Now, I'm not going to lie. For those listening, my rate is extremely low, which is why I'm able to get what I get. Exactly. I That's why you can work so much. Exactly. I deliberately, because I do have another job and that job pays the bills and it gives me my health insurance. So I try yeah. to always keep this as fun and free as possible. Yeah. Um, but um, but I, I do have a rate. Uh, but now, yeah, like, and that's that's a luxury that I never thought would have come falling in my lap in 2010 yeah. when I started all of this. Plus in 2010, you couldn't even make money off this stuff. So I think that that's also showcases where like what where, where the passion has always been versus the desire because like a love yeah. I've always viewed love as like a moving target yeah you know it's mm-hmm. like it's never something that's like so that's why you've got to find what makes you happy because if what if when you're happy you can follow love because love is always moving so you know you're chasing love it might go too fast so which is why some people get burned out um. But we've all been doing this for oh for years, you know, yeah. years. So now I wanted to move into the craft, you know, talk about a little bit about now what's great and exciting is while I am so informed with these people's lives, so <laughs> I know what they can and cannot talk about, which is just in a way amazing to know in yeah. life. You have things that you can and cannot talk yeah. about. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, we're going to start to move into the craft of yeah. what these, what these two gentlemen have been doing. Cool. So Eric, yeah. uh, you are a director, you're a screenwriter, you are an editor, you're all that mm. stuff. So I wanted to pick your head from the start in a way, not, not from the start when you came out of the womb. Don't give yeah. me that. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you know, I was born as a Taurus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he means uh, a literal Taurus. I have to have yeah, surgeries yeah. to become human. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah. So I thought you would talk a little bit about uh, your upbringing and filmmaking. And um, pro- so I know you can't really talk about your projects right now, um, yeah. but um, I was I thought maybe you could talk about what 
maybe fulfills you within your projects that you and what you might necessarily what actually probably scares you uh and necessarily when you're filmmaking projects uh so well, i'm gonna shut up now you're the mic's on you so um I, i've talked about this before being a gypsy education wasn't a big thing to my family but when I was a little kid, I got a VHS camcorder for Christmas and I started making really crappy movies with my toys and my dog. I never thought making movies was an option. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Then when I was 17, I became a Christian and thought I was going to go into full-time ministry. But I also always loved movies, especially, you know, horror movies, sci-fi movies. And I remember I was studying to get my, you know, GED. And, but then a teacher mentioned, you know, you can go to community college without a GED and study film. I left night school then. The Los Angeles City College was right near me, like walking distance. So I started taking classes there, you know, learning that, you know, it's legal for people outside of the system to make movies. And yeah, and also remember, I was a teenager in the independent boom. Yeah. When Rodriguez, you know, Tarantino, Smith were all blowing up. So I started getting, yeah, you know, you don't need millions upon millions of dollars to do this. So with me, it was just that starting in film school and learning the actual craft of it and what I'm good at, what I'm not good at when it comes to filmmaking. Love that. Love that. Um, is there anything in particular in filmmaking that, that you enjoy doing the most? Like whichever, um, whichever stage I'm in is what I like the most. Like when oh, I'm writing... Total, that is a total filmmaker answer. <laughs> when I'm writing, you know, I love the writing part. When I am, you know, when we're in pre-production, I do think writing is pre-production. Yeah. It's, oh, I got to send you guys this video. There's a YouTuber I love, Patrick H. Willems. He's a oh, great, film. he's awesome. He did this video about how heist movies are really about making movies. Yeah, I gotta I send that. it to you. That's that. a great one. So yeah, whichever part I'm in, I mean, the writing is a lot of fun. Um, then yeah, this whatever stage I'm in, editing, I'll admit, is the hard one. That's the hardest of all of them. It's the most soul crushing of all of them. That's where, in a lot of ways, that's where a movie's actually made. It's it's yeah. in the editing lab. It's not on the sets because yeah. you can ask and fix and do whatever or cut uh yeah. afterwards uh but uh an edit the editing lab is where a movie's made and i i i'm with you okay i am not a fan of editing i i, mean, I, I love doing it it's just it's the hardest and most stinkless part because you know you guys understand the editing process but people outside don't get it and they I mean, don't get how much weight you gain while editing, because, you know, you've got your checks party mix and Swizzlers, you know, like, look at Peter Jackson when he made the Lord of the Rings trilogy, how much. And look at him it. after he and made the Lord of the Rings. After. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, I totally, totally get it. I, I myself in the same way, I'm a night owl. When it's at night when I want to work, it's when I want to write. It's when, I, and maybe it's just because we do horror. So we're, yeah. we're our headspace is just better in the dark. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, it's also when I want to eat. Uh, it's, it's like, because I need to stay awake. I need to stay alert. It's like, if I'm not editing for the next three hours, am I even editing? You know, like, am I even putting in the grind if I'm not even, if I'm not actually going to be like cutting out the three hours to do it? Because there are days, I mean, I'm sure you've had them, Eric, where you've opened up the system and you've sliced something and you're like, this isn't it. I can't, I can't look at it. Close the laptop for today. I can't look at it. Yeah. Yeah, there has yeah, and like and there's that ways with right with the writing process where you're just like I just took a two hour walk to get this brain going, and I've sat down here now because that's how I would do it. I would either go for a swim or go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sitting here and I'm typing, and I've typed like two lines of dialogue, mm-hmm. and that is that's all I can get out of me today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then there are those days where it man, it just comes out oh, like yeah. lava. You like you can like I feel like I if I stayed here right now, I could probably write the whole thing. Yeah. Um, like it so um, but yeah. So what about you, Mr. Larry? What about you? Well, I I know, you know, the one thing that I've learned um early on about acting and the difference between an actor and filmmaker and this is kind of like a no-brainer but if people don't know what actors do <laughs> so actors are you know they, their job is to show up on set and to be the the voice and the vision and uh the action to the writer's words and then the director's words right mm. obviously if it's an indie film that the writer is the director Eric. Yeah. <clears throat> but but I think actors are under the the notion that that parts will come to them, right? That people will seek them out. And that's probably true if they're in a small town or a small city. San Antonio, Austin, that's good. You know, New York, LA, forget it. When you're when yeah. you're in the sea, right? Um it is weird that, you know, when you are in LA or New York that you think you're and I've seen it time and time again, especially when I taught acting in L.A., is people would come. It's like it's like, uh, you know, like the Welcome to the Jungle video, right, where Axl Rose steps off the <laughs> bus with his and he looks around. He's like, I'm in the Eating city, the hay. baby. I'm in the jungle. And and people literally they come to class and they're like, uh, this is I'm going to I'm 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 me, man. I'm yeah, I'm me. I'm going to make this. Uh, this town is going to be my city. And then you go to your first audition and you see 20 other yous. And then you realize, oh, shit, I got I really have to put in some type of work to to be noticed, not just on my looks, but I got to be able to look like the writer, director, their vision. But also I got to be able to act my way out of a paper bag. Right. I get it. I get and, it. And. and and I think because of that, actors aren't lazy, but by design, they wait for people. Yeah. Which I think is a horrible, horrible thing for actors to do. Yeah. Um, being a filmmaker, on the other hand, you get to pick up a camera, a phone, and you just start shooting. And it, and it's like, it doesn't matter what you shoot the first 
400 times. You're learning, you're learning, you're learning. And so moving here is when I really, moving to Texas is when I really had to go into the filmmaking side. And and being able, and I remember early on because I started working with, with our friend, Micah Allen Johnson, with her real estate school. Yes, yes. We and love her. Yes, we, we do. Yes, our we favorite do. person. Yes. Literally. Yes. I, I yes. would literally take a bullet for her first before I would take a bullet for you guys. I'm just. Same. Wait, what? I, I, yeah. Yeah, what? no. Yeah. You would probably. <laughs> so the way it would go is I would shield her first. <laughs> and then if the bullet still hadn't hit y'all, then I would run back to take more. <laughs> But I'm definitely taking, I'm definitely saving Micah, okay? Samia goes Mazzy, then Micah. Exa exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. Kyle would be making the shooter regret every big. decision he made right. in his life. Right. Fair. Kyle is such a big dude that it probably wouldn't even phase him. It would be um, like a paper cut. He'd oh, like, my God. He'd be like, oh. uh. He's also like, uh, and take it and just continue. Do you remember walk. when yeah. he told Kelsey on set, "I can't even feel you on me"? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that he's a y'all for those listening. He's like a firefighter. Like I think a born and raised Texan. So oh, yeah. that man is like Texas. So he's like, like what he, six five? And yeah, he looks like like if you like, look up Texas in the dictionary, there's a picture they, of Kyle. Uh, yeah. Kyle, yeah. And, you know? yeah. 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 Absolutely. So he he'll be fine. He can yes. probably take maybe four or five bullets before it even he realizes that he's been shot. Actually, he would scoop all of us in me, you and and Eric and Micah and Mazzy into his arms and turn his back and still be able to shield exactly and us. then so, beat yeah. the guy to death with the bullets that were in his body like <laughs> right. take them out <laughs> right throw them back <laughs> yeah exactly oh exactly God. so I love it. Yeah, yeah we we, yeah. we love we love that entire family um oh my god they're amazing so much uh you know i actually i have to say one thing that i do not like and i could never is i can write like little commercials and promos but not a script i i don't i that i know i don't have the patience but i'm kind of like you dylan and i've learned how to kind of like find my inspiration go for a walk go for a run go play basketball go play soccer and let let the idea kind of gestate because when you and and i love editing i love shooting i love editing to me I don't look at editing like, you know, like it's like anxiety, although sometimes you do. But again, obviously I started smoking cigars and drinking right. whiskey from the right. anxiety right. editing right. gave right. me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, I, there's right. a lot of things when I stepped on a film set that I was prepared for. You know what I was not prepared for? To be a handler. <laughs> A handler and a taker. Take your meds, Eric. Nope, don't drink that, Eric. Right, right, right. Like, yeah, right. Shot, the shoot is over. Maybe we need to go to bed, okay? <laughs> We've got to wake up in another six hours. You don't so know that on every movie again. now, that's going to be one of... Oh my God, we can put you as the Eric Ringler in the credits oh, or something man. like oh, that. Yeah. I love that. Because oh, I was man. the Eric Ringler. I can't tell you how many times, like, where's Eric? 
Where is Eric? I'm taking my cell phone from me after drinking. Yeah. Or like, um, you're what is I have like I had to set a time like every 9 p.m. you're supposed to take your meds and I'm like yeah. it's 8 55 I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill the tractor if he doesn't take his meds he's gonna home. have a seizure in front of all of us and die yeah I'm like I'm on I'm like standing next to a a, a dead deer that we just because we were on an oh, active part I'm like yeah. where where's Eric where's Eric he's gotta take his pills my god that that just brings up so many memories we literally can we talk should we talk a little bit about the deer the dead deer not the no, one I. Hit. that's gonna give stuff away well, not the one i well when you, you mean the you, one i hit we were on an active farm so you were gonna find right, right, dead animals right. every not now and then. the dead deer incident though i don't want to talk about that on... with the one i hit oh that yeah, yeah. we can talk about that yeah, oh, because the god. the rental car fiasco of oh my god, tell me about it. I hit so it was in you know living in in rural anywhere, right? Texas, North Carolina, Indiana, yeah. whatever. There's deer galore. I I know from personal experience. I've hit deer before, but not like this. I was turning away from the deer. I wasn't going that fast, I don't think. No. The deer ran into me, and I could see the eyes look at me as I ran him over with the front tire. Eric was over in the driver's seat. He was, I, that was a blood-curling scream. I'm going to see if I still have the diary entry that I wrote as you tell this story. <laughs> God. Oh, God, it's things like that that, you know, you don't forget, but you don't get an opportunity to talk about until it comes up the 200th episode on a podcast show. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, or when you're talking about the movie, it's it's those are the things. But see, again, I think those are the because my experience, I don't know about you fellas, but anytime you're on the set, you want to kill each other because always. there's always it's high anxiety. There's high pressure to get stuff done. There's you're, funding you're shooting... coming from other places. So you're right. trying to not be dicks and waste people's money. Right, yeah. right, right, you, you, right. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, you, you, you're you like, you're on, on edge. Every question is like, yeah, let's just go. Whatever, man, just do yeah. it. And then all of a sudden you end, the minute you end, the minute everything, action, you're cut, you're wrapped. That's the end of production. Thank you. Everybody becomes best friends again. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. I think that is that speaks to so much of a creative person's life because you make these much like with you, Dylan. I mean, you know, we we make these awesome like connections and they become more than connections. They become a relationship where you don't necessarily have to talk to somebody every day. Oh, yeah. But, but you get you get to relive every time you talk. I know, I know with you and every time, you know, get to talk to you. It's always, it's always that same, that love and that affection. And it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, there's, there's no better feeling. There's no worse feeling, no better feeling of being on a movie set or being in creative space, working with people that, that you respect and love, yeah. but you still want to kill them. I don't oh, know what it is. Always. Uh, but oh, yeah. Always. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. And I think it's also because what's so interesting about us is I think all three of us come from different fields yeah. of film, you know? Yeah. So we have Eric, who's very like behind the scenes. We have obviously the actor. I mean, just looking at Larry right now, he looks like he's preparing a role for a cop with the stash <laughs> going on. Like I do. I do. Okay, nice. baby. I'm trying. One of these days, I'm going to get there. Once I get the confidence, I'll have the stash, but uh, <laughs> might need to get some uh, double chin fillers first. Uh, I love yeah. it, man. You're so sexy, Dylan. I love <laughs> it. Your beard is your beard it. game, dude. Your facial hair game is off the charts. It is. This hides all the surface flaws. Okay. I get so much compliments on the facial hair. I don't, people are like, I want, Dylan, I'm curious what you look like. Look, I had. 20 plus years with clean shaved okay you should have known me then the beard's <laughs> never going away baby wait till i get some gray i'm gonna be unstoppable <laughs> okay like yeah ladies uh hey guys ladies, ladies <laughs> gents guys they right, let's gents, do it yeah baby wait till just wait honey it. um but yeah yeah um i'm having Hold on, gentlemen I found the entry for the book I was going to write where we talk about the, okay, ready? Okay. I was an accessory to a murder. It's all over. It's all over where the only words going through my mind that cold April night on a dark road in Salado, Texas. My life is over. My movie is over before it even got started. We're going to have to tell the cops our producer, and most terrifying of all, my mom. My assistant, Liam, was in the back seat, also at a loss for words. After filming the movie, he was going to go to film school, but not anymore. Dear God, not anymore. Outside of the car, my friend Larry Sands was looking over the body of the innocent life we had taken with a little bit of hope that maybe, just maybe, she was still alive. He walked back to the car, put his head into the driver's seat window and with ice cold eyes said, yeah, she's dead, but I'll come back to this story later. That was amazing. Yeah. Was I, I, yeah. So deer is a South thing. In fact, the way a lot of people in the South correspond to deer is that we live in their domain and we just happen to be passing through their country right. in a way that is very true. Uh, but yeah, I've I've seen my fair share of deer. In fact, I have to drive like Eric probably has never experienced the, the, the lifestyle of driving with their brights on. Driving yeah. with my brights on is a very common thing. I'm constantly switching forth between my brights and my uh, regular lights. So yeah. uh, expect. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like we all three have come from different spectrums. We have behind the scenes, we have the actor. And then I, in a way, am, I guess the promoter. I do a lot of yeah. online stuff. I do a lot of networking, like a lot of press. So you're I, a I, good actor, Dylan. You're a good actor. Yeah. And you're yeah, there's be nothing a better than being maker. told like, Hey, so this person's not going to be able to do it. So you're now doing it. So you're like, great. Guess I get to learn how to act on, on in the moment. <laughs> so, but luckily I love these guys so much that like they could literally laugh at me, which they have. And, um, and I'd be cool with it. We'll just like, they could literally say like, Dylan, this is not working. Actually this time, make it look believable. 
Um, and, you know, <laughs> and I wouldn't take it personal. I wouldn't take it personal because, yeah, it was fun learning how to act with these fools. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was just, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so as we're talking about work, I know, like, we're all t- something. Cause, like, I have things that, like, I can't talk about either because, yeah. you know, I make a great, because I do a lot of press. So I do a lot of backhand agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you can't talk. So embargoes are, like, my thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. always bound by some sort of embargo. Yeah. Uh so there's unfortunately not much that I can talk about my personal life right now. Um, but I think Larry just got done shooting some stuff that he oh, can yeah. talk about. Yeah. Uh, he, I actually, if I had to rank the people in the room right now, he would actually be at the very, very bottom because he got to have a really good summer and it should have been me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a jealous fool. I am a jealous fool. So talk about your time international. <laughs> well, I so, you know, just like everything in life, all I said was yes. And and it was my friend who we're going to have her on the podcast, by the way. Um, She I've known Sasha Zelig for for quite a while. Uh, we both were instructors at Barbizon here in San Antonio. And then she became. Um, that sounds like a gentleman's years. club. No, Barbizon is where the, they, they uh, like the finishing school for girls where they did modeling and acting and oh. things like that. Yeah. And taught them really etiquette. Um, yeah. How to sounds like something that could be that. Makeup. And then a gentleman's yeah. club after 11 p.m. <laughs> Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. that's what they're getting them ready for. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh God! But I I've known Sasha for for the longest time, and um, she had asked me if I would be interested in talking to her about going to Greece, and I was like, oh, okay. And she goes, she wants to shoot it to like you know this this the the, the travelers that that have that go to Greece because. It, it was interesting because now looking back, like, because up until going to Greece, we talked about like the emotional connection because we went to all these, um, uh, like these power site, power places, um, Aphrodite and her temple, um, really Poseidon's temple, all these ancient oh. power places, and get a take on what it was like for the travelers to be at these in their emotional content. But having come back and really having a chance to kind of think about um, uh, going over there. By the way, it's if if you have if somebody says, "Hey, do you want to go shoot my trip when I go to Greece?" Just say yes. Just say just say yes because it is. I've been to a lot of places. Um, Look Greece. At me, I'm Larry. I know. <laughs> Greece I get to being... go soak up the wineries <laughs> and like li- live with among the the. I bet the, the trees just looked grease. <laughs> they actually they did. They had <laughs> olives growing on them. And I and one of my questions because we went with a guide uh, throughout uh, Greece at these places. Uh, one of my questions was, "Do olives always grow on trees here?" <laughs> just random, random trees, and obviously they kind of do, but. It, it's it's amazing because when you're in Athens, 
um, you have like modern day, but right across the street, you have like these ancient ruins from the beginning of like mythology, right? Mm -hmm. The beginning of Greece, uh, bluest of the skies, the bluest of waters. And it never ceased to amaze me because it came like a running joke is like every time I was eating Greek yogurt anywhere, I go, I can't believe I'm eating Greek yogurt in Greece. And they're like, yes, we know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And so it was, it was always, it, it's not lost on me. I, yeah. I, I'm very lucky. And, and to be able to put something like this together and actually like scripted out in a way where that's one of the things when, when you have no script and you're just shooting and then you get to go back and you have, it's like all these pieces of the puzzle, you have a big chunk of piece here, you have another chunk over here and you have to figure out how to connect those dots in a way where, where the viewer is going to be like, Oh man, I dig it. And, you know, I was talking to Sasha, um, shortly after we got back and one of the the things was is i saw greece as not a tourist is the word <laughs> <laughs> not a not a tourist but but it's different it's different it was it was an emotional place for me and i think that's that's one of the the things that that we're going to be pursuing with this but greece man i tell you if if there's a film festival in greece that they go hey what is your price? And oh, by the way, we'll pay for everything. You go when, where, what time? What I'm do already I need to on work? the flight. I'm already. Right. I'm at the airport. I'm at the airport. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I exactly. am. I love to travel. It is like outside of movies, which will always top my number one thing. I love to travel, and I know people like to say that, like in their like dating bios, they love to travel, but they really take like two trips. You know, I love to travel. Okay. I am a traveler. Okay. The reason why there's no money in the bank account half the time is because I spend it traveling for fun. Going to a Taylor Taylor Swift show in Los Angeles. Exactly. Or going to a Taylor freaking Swift show in Los Angeles where she announces 19. I I knew Jesus would return. I just didn't think that I would be in the room. When Jesus would return. And I was there for the 1989 announcement. I had better seats than Carly Kloss, who was an enemy of Taylor Swift, who was at the show. So like, just like chaos, baby. She changed. She did the blue dresses. Okay. So I was at that show. So for the Swifties. Kylie Cross. Kylie Cross. She's a model. She was her best friend in the 1989 era. But then all of a sudden, they just stopped talking with each other because the rumor is Got Carly Kloss's manager at the time was indeed Scooter Braun. Oh. So there's rumors going around that I don't think Car- Carly probably did this with ammunition or animosity, but I think that she gave Scooter the ammunition that would lead Scooter down the path to do to steal her to steal her work. Yeah. And because Taylor was like, I don't like Scooter, but Carly signed with Scooter. And sometimes when you're signed and you're on a six to nine year contract, you're on a six to nine year contract. You don't like working with that person, honey, after six to nine years, then you leave. You know what I mean? But you just have to suck it up because that's that's Hollywood, baby. Yeah. Um, 
See, that kind of reminds me like in 1997 when Bret Hart was feuding with Shawn Michaels. Now, they were two of the greatest performers of all time in that era. And when it came to the 1997 Survivor Series, which is called the Montreal Screwjob, Bret Hart's plan was to, you know, for it to be a squash or a DQ, as we call it. And then the next night on Raw, he was going to relinquish the title and then a month later start working for WCW. But Vince McMahon did something that was unthinkable till this day. He really, well, they say really cheated Bret Hart out of the title by ending the match, which started in a way the Mr. McMahon character that gave us the Attitude Era or Monday Night Wars era. (laughs) See, this is what I love is it goes from filmmaking to Taylor Swift to wrestling all all in all under five minutes. I love my goal. And I I swear this day, Dylan, Next April, you are going to watch WrestleMania with me both nights. I am going to get you so deep in the Bloodline storyline. Everyone wants me to to watch wrestling. Huh? You're not the only person who's been trying to get me to watch wrestling. Can I tell you that right now, there is a storyline going on in wrestling that is about gaslighting family members, your ego, and how, you know... Yeah, it's amazing what's going on right now. It's my two favorite things in the world, my ego and tearing people's families apart. Well, no, I'm going to do this really, really fast because I'm going to get you guys hooked. Roman Reigns was always pushed as being the greatest wrestler of all time, but Vince McMahon, but he's this really good looking Samoan guy who's cousins with The Rock, mm-hmm. and they tried to make him an underdog when he is the obstacle. So he has these two cousins, twins, the Usos, who are one of the greatest tag teams of all time, and their little brother, Solo. So the Usos never got on a WrestleMania card till Roman turned heel, beat up one of his cousins to join him. And the only way that cousin joined him is because he got the other his other cousin in a chokehold in a steel cage and wouldn't let go till the other guy submitted to him. So now he's go he was going around telling them, without me, you guys would be nothing. I'm the only reason why you matter. If you leave me, you go back to nothing, even though they were amazing, but can't see that in themselves. Mm, that's kind of hot. Yeah. Mm, mm. Okay, back to, you know, our 200 episode and filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think... Uh, um, so I, I do have a serious filmmaking question to ask um, for both of you guys. So let's be honest. This has been the year of flops when it comes to big budget movies. The Marvels yeah. opened at 47 million. Now, again, Hillsborough Road somehow gets theatrical and we make $47 million. We're the toast of the town, you know, Steve. We are never working another day (laughs) in our lives, which is kind of a lie. Let's be for real. We're going to keep working on making movies, but you know, we get the Spielberg call. James Cameron's asking us for advice, but Marvel died this weekend. Yeah. DC has been on, is on life support. 
Yeah. The Fast and the Furious didn't do well. Tom Cruise then, you know, a few years ago, Tom Cruise saved the saved the theatrical experience, but now not. Guys, do you think that with this happening, with the next and with the strikes that happen, do you think we're gonna get the mid-budget movies back? Because Yes, I actually say that we do. Look at what's going on with Killers of the Flower Moon. It wasn't like a big box office hit, but I cannot stop hearing people talking about that. And also, yes, Barbenheimer was a big deal because of the marriage of the two, but Oppenheimer is about to join the $1 billion club. Now, yes, that was a $100 million movie or whatnot, but at the end of the day, it is still a three hour long talky film about people standing in rooms talking science and chemistry, which is not something that you would think many people would be interested in watching, even if it did cost a hundred million dollars to make. So I think that we are seeing a shift just the way that we saw a shift in the er er mid early two thousands when we were moving into superhero films. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's always going to be a market and there's always superheroes will come back. Like they always do just like you know, just like the way the Westerns came back and they died away. And, you know, there's always going to be a niche and a demographic for it. Just like the way with horror. Like we talk a lot about horror. Yeah. Horror is constantly evolving. Um, and that's why you might talk to somebody whose favorite horror is the 50s or the 70s or the 80s or the early 2000s or the 2010s. Um, you know, um, it's just so um, I find uh, I, I actually would be thrilled if the mid-budget movies become like the standard, the norm, I'm not saying that it has to be uh, an original idea or maybe it's maybe it's just adapted to something because there's still tons of original movies. The reason why I, my least favorite complaint is everything these days is always based. No. You're not looking. You're not looking. If all, if you tell me that everything that's coming out these days is just based off of some IP or superhero film or some block, but you're not looking. Uh, you're just simply not looking. I can tell you, I could open up my Netflix account. I could open up Tubi. I could open up uh, any sort of thing. And I can give me maybe even a minute or a minute. I will find something that came out this year that was not based off of something. Um, you know, that was an original idea. Um, every weekend there's something coming out. There's just this mass quantity of stuff. Um, I saw which- the holdovers last week and that's the best movie best non-horror movie i've seen this year i loved that movie so much it's not uh, i've seen some people say it's like a cozy film it's yes and no it's cozy in the presentation of like uh you know a teacher at a boarding school having to take care of the kids who can't go home for the holidays and the way that it's shot you know it has that sort of like film grain and it feels very like it it feels like something that we would have watched in the 80s or 90s around Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, you need to see it, Larry. Yeah. Yeah. It, it very, like, I don't want to compare it to movies like Stand By Me or something like that, but like it has that level of that coziness. Good. Wow. It has that level of like coziness of those type of original films that you would put on around a certain time of the year, but it's talking about like real issues at the same time. You know what I mean? Like that's why I wouldn't necessarily say it's cozy because it, the subject matter is very 
hard, yeah. you know, the idea of loneliness about, I eat anything up about family dysfunction. Family dysfunctions is my favorite thing in the entire world, whether it's in horror or drama. So this is all about like this guy, he comes from a wealthy family yeah. and this, the teacher does, it did not come from a wealthy lifestyle. So he kind of already feels like screw these little kids, you know, what in a way, um, they've always had a, you know, a plate given to them. Um, but this kid comes from a wealthy family who really has no, doesn't want anything to do with them. They'd rather go fly off to Key West and, you know, uh, with their new lover than spend time over the holidays with their sure juvenile delinquent son, but still juvenile. But there's a reason for that. But there's a reason delinquent. for that. And I, I love the holdovers. I, I, this is actually leading into my, pretty much my next question. Well, um, I have one for Larry that I want to tack on before we go into it. So okay. Larry, to add on with the change coming and Dylan, if you wanted to mention this after Larry's done, go for it. The yeah. norm used to be someone has the big kid at some, Sundance. We'll use Richard Linkletter for an example. You know, Slacker comes out, then Universal has their mid-budget thing, Polygram. They also did this with Kevin Smith. It would be, hey, what's your passion project? What do you want to do next? When now it's, oh, wow, you know, Mark Webb, you had a hit indie movie and your last name is Webb. You want to do Spider-Man? Which is the only reason he got that job. Yeah, you can't convince but, otherwise. Larry, what do you, do you think we're going to get to that now where instead of these indie directors, and he did other work before that, he did the, uh, the I'm Not Okay music video, so he's a great director, but do you think instead of these young directors getting these big box office movies that it's going to be back to the passion movies and maybe... We'll get movie stars back. Man, that would be great. I, you know, obviously we kind of grew up in an era um, like with the movie star, right? Because I think the last great movie stars are the ones that I paid attention to was Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp, George Clooney, you know, people like that. Matt Cruise. Damon. Yeah, Tom Cruise, Bruce Willis. Um, I think because of, and maybe, you know, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Maybe Dylan, you have an idea or or an opinion about this. But I think because there's so many different streaming platforms, uh, hopefully it does come back for passion projects. Because I think now that now that there's going to be a lull in in the Marvels and these uh, IP projects, right? Hopefully they're going to be able to look at at movies as a creative art form like it was before where it's mm -hmm. not just money after money after money and you're going to throw money to make a you know because that that's when you get i think hollywood's attention is when you throw a bunch of money at an ip project and it comes back with minimal return i say 40 46 million dollars is is a whole heck of a lot but not and for the, a Marvel why, movie. Why is that not enough anymore? Oh, it's because it costs two hundred fifty million to make. Right. That's why right. I've got another two fifty to market it. Right. Exactly. And and, and to, now that you have these streaming guys, and it, it used to be where Brad Pitt and all these all the movie stars got twenty million dollars a picture, and you knew why. 
because they were worth it in the international. And then, yes, they could make it up in the domestic or whatever, but they had their 20 million knew why. But nowadays, it's like with all these streaming CEOs, they're the ones not making 20 million. They make 200 million a year. So you have to ask yourself is, and, and especially, you know, when you think about that in terms of like the studio system is when you, when you are already have to make 200 million to pay a CEO, how much more do you have to make in your big budget blockbuster movie to justify that CEO and then pay your actors, pay, pay the people for making the fucking movie. Exactly. Go on. I mean, what is hard with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I I absolutely agree. I think uh look, I didn't say this. So if Disney comes into our, you know, inbox and saying, Hey, we want you to make a movie, we never said this. But why is Disney constantly like flaunting money around? You know, it's like they have to it's like they have to have the caviar every day right. on their on these no. sets for every single thing. And I'm like but yet you're going to pay your employees $13 an hour right, right. to go around, run around working 16 hour days. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, you want to have the caviar on the food trucks. You want to have the caviar in the in the right. studio lots that you use and in the marketing that you use. It is, it, it, dare I say, feels almost a little money laundering at the end of the day. Right. Well, the uh, Warner Brothers guy, I think the only reason Coyote versus Acme is now allowed to be sold is because like yeah that was money laundering because he was like gonna do a tax write-off or something that's not yeah for a project that apparently is testing extremely well so it was just like i don't really care no for this project just to be i'm just gonna use it to get some more money out of it right um and now yeah so he got bullied into not no longer doing it so you know maybe it is good to nipple twist uh an old ceo executive and steal his lunch money Um, you know i loved bob Iger when he was in charge of disney before the other guy took over and during the streaming era right yeah i love bob Iger because he was always it seemed to me he was always fair and he would do projects and he'd you know, he'd follow the the brand, you know, which is great, which is that's what it should do. But now in the streaming era, I feel since he's come back, he, there's a mess. And I think, you know, with and, and I don't know how you feel about this, Dylan or Eric, but, you know, there's a reason the strike went on so long because the streamers, <laughs> I think I think I think the streamers know that the that the gig the jig is up because yeah. where are they going to find all this money to pay the actors much like what they did in the studio system going to the movie theater oh we're paying for it that's why our netflix prices right. have raised right. four exactly. times since the strike started literally the strike ended and i got an email the oh, day it's going before up. that it's going yeah. up again yeah. So yeah. the re- the the there that two percent that silly little two percent that everyone's asking for and keep in mind yes there are a list actors in this strike or whatnot that had but it to, wasn't about you know, them but it's not about them yeah. there are so many actors who 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 probably their taxes are twenty six thousand for the year and maybe you, yeah. even less yeah maybe even less because I, I can think attest to that yeah and like they're they're maybe even less so. 
Uh, and, you know, you have to make like a certain amount in order to get insurance. health insurance yeah. and stuff like that. So they're like, OK, you're going to cut my health insurance for the year and I'm going to go on strike because that's how important this is to me. And we're asking for two percent, which is for so many of them, the budget of another movie. Right. At the end of the day, a budget for one of their IP films. That's how that's all that they're gonna lose. Yeah. And you know, et cetera. So you know what they've done? Yeah, they just upped their prices on their streaming services. Yeah. They're gonna yeah. make the good old American folks pay for the two percent. Yeah. Now yeah. you can't convince me otherwise because every streaming service has upped their prices and they yeah. upped it during the strike. That was how they were gonna and they did it and they realized not too many people have left so far. So that's how that they were gonna pay for but it all. Here's the thing, they're gonna learn in the wrong the long run again. And I joke about the WB a lot, but here's the thing. If they go back now to their network shows, let's say they make, you know, a multi-camera family sitcom where there's, you know, the cool older brother, the cute girl, and, you know, the parents and another kid, and then the guy's best friend. During the during the off season, you take that girl, you put her in a slasher movie that your company's making, because there's that built-in thing people are gonna want to go see her. The hot boy who's in the movie, you know, you can move him into the Robin role for your next Batman movie or whatever superhero. There's that built-in fan base. So by focusing on streaming, now again, I have all the services. Thanks. You know, I have now I have Shutter and Hallmark. Why? But also, I would love to go back to watching network TV. Yeah, because yeah. there is something special about that. And think about this: there are no stars in their twenties right now. Right. Jenna Ortega is there. Rachel Zegler must be stopped. <laughs> talk about this i look i have paused the rachel zegler hate because i'm a massive hunger games fan i'll pick it up after the hunger games but uh if she would how dumb is she again she's from patterson i respect look, her for that she, she's in her 20s she she's gonna say things and you're gonna say things in your 20s that you probably shouldn't say and I think there's a time where I will forgive Rachel Zegler for her Snow White comments. I think there's a time where I'll forgive her for her. She 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 got popular through the West Side Story. I think the fame got a little bit to her head. Yes. I think she she was not PR trained. Disney's uh, building has pillars for the seven dwarves because they're the pillars of the company. Now it's going to be the Snow seven White? hipsters, right? Huh? Yeah. Now that now they're going to be the seven hipsters. No, no, they went back to the dwarfs. Oh. There is that CGI thing, but they're like just as tall as her and terrifying. Wait a minute, they're going to be CGI dwarfs? Yeah. I think so. no, look, I this think is so. this is the problem with Hollywood, mm -hmm. and I I can tell you, why would they do CGI dwarfs when there's plenty, plenty of, of little people? Yes. That want that would love kill. kill to be in that movie. And again, if what you want to, and I would say, you know, you want to do again, I'm more than sure that three of us hate woke and cancel culture with all our hearts. Yeah. If you want to be cool, okay, get 
dwarf actors and get multiracial ones, you know, and then you're doing even more because you're not only giving a dwarf actor, you're giving an Asian American dwarf actor a you job. Why don't why don't we write original stories around these characters? I, I you why? can why don't we? Yeah, I just I don't get it. I and I too am not a big fan of cancel culture because I feel like ninety percent of the people who get canceled don't deserve to get canceled. Right. Uh, and like and like and I, I will say, I did not like Rachel Zegler's comments. Uh, and but I I think what it, but I do think that I can eventually forgive her over time. I think she is just a child who got famous, who didn't get the proper PR training, started speaking with a little bit of an ego. And but Hunger Games is coming out. We all know I felt <laughs> I was bad. I had it bad from twenty twelve. The original trilogy of movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. What'd you say? What if she bashed the original movies? She wouldn't do that because they're those are quality cinema. Okay, she's a child, so I could tell you she grew up on Hunger Games, Twilight, <laughs> Maze Runner. She. Uh, Harry Potter. There's no way she would bash it because that, to me, that she would probably say that she liked those movies more than a Scorsese joint. I guarantee you. Uh, so, um, Scorsese but who? Scorsese who? I just also can I just say Scorsese is so anti um, superhero movies, but so pro TikTok. And I just want to say he's for yeah. me. He's for me. You know, I, he's always dropping TikTok videos with uh, with his daughter. I didn't know he had a TikTok. Yeah. I got to follow him daughter, tonight. Right? You got to follow. Okay, it's technically his daughter's Francesca. Francesca Scorsese. But he's always on there. And he's he is so funny and so lovable. And, like, the fact that Scorsese is always on TikTok but hates superhero movies right. is just, like, yeah. the best thing. Yeah. Because he, he, he's with the times, but he understands yeah. that the only reason why superhero movies exist is because the CEO executives just see that as a cash flow. But he also yeah. sees that like TikTok in a way is just like a place where people can just be creative. Yeah. There's a lot of bad stuff that comes with that because people are always going to, but like ultimately he sees like the perks and benefits um, of it. Yeah. So I am a massive, massive, I love Scorsese. Um but uh, but yeah, I Francesca just yeah. listens to the show, so we'd like to in invite her on wherever. Yeah, exactly. completely. Yeah, yeah. Francesca is awesome. I she's one of my favorite TikTokers, and not just because her father is Martin Scorsese, but because she realizes, like, the she, she's great. She's great. So I like her videos, even when Martin's not even like. I'll check her out tonight. Yeah, you yeah. should. You should definitely look. You can literally put Martin Scorsese TikToks, and you'll find her videos. Okay, I'm I'll do that when we're done. Yeah. Right, we um, need to be wrapping up a bit soon. Yeah. So Let's so, get into some more questions. Yeah. So, well, this is kind of like, we could almost kind of conclude on this because now that I've broken down our life or how we got into it, uh, different process and feel, I wanted to talk a little bit, my, in a sense, my final little statement is in a sense, the inspirations, obviously, like what, like what type of projects or films or in a sense, like what type of films did we grow up watching that kind of inspired us to get into filmmaking? And also, if there is something that you have been watching throughout the year that you would recommend listeners to watch, whether that is a show or a movie, because while, yes, we are busy folks, baby, we're out here working the grind. OK, yeah. but we're also watching stuff 
Okay, we sit down with our wives or our significant others or our little toys uh, and we turn something on the TV. Okay, what are what are we watching? Okay, what are we watching, ladies and gentlemen? So, um, Eric, I'm going to start this with you. What would you say got you into filmmaking and what would you recommend listeners to be watching from this year? Well, the movies that made me fall in love with movies as a kid, I'm going to go with the usual suspects, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, but my family let me watch everything. So, I mean, I was watching Scarface as a little kid, you know, the Warriors as a little kid. Love then that. when I got older, you know, as a teen, I think when you're a teenager, is when you start to make your own decisions about the kind of movies you like. Yeah. So again, and I grew up in the independent boom, the Tarantino era, the Kevin Smith, and then, you know, like 96 when Scream came out and Kevin Williamson and all that stuff. So those are really my inspirations as a filmmaker as all of that stuff. And what I'm watching now Man, I just watched the Sean Levy Netflix series, All the Light We Cannot See. Huh? And that was amazing. Okay. I, I read that book. Um, not normally something I would read, but I've been too scared to watch it. It's but... pretty good. And recently, because of a project I've told Larry about, what's going to be the third movie we do, I've been rediscovering the films of Wes Anderson who is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And then another uh, movie-wise, man, anything on Shudder is just blowing my mind right now. The Elevator Game was really, really good. Um, there's, again, like, like you, Dylan, I watch so much. It's hard to mention, you know, what I'm watching. Uh, YouTube-wise, everybody, subscribe to Patrick Wilhelm. He is the... His video just recently about who killed cinema. And it's like a 90 minute feature about, you know, why then he's like dressed up like Kenneth Branagh's character from the. I, I like it, Mary. He's yeah, you would actually like him a lot. He's high energy. He's fun. He's uh, very like they're video essays, too. So you're they're not just like some like like us nerds sometimes who just sit in the back. Uh, but he's like, they're full on video essays. And I, there's an ongoing story in the background yeah, that they did he, a feature film for. Yeah, I I love him. I do a lot of driving now for work. Sometimes I have to drive two hours for to go to work sometimes. So I will put some of those type of videos on and like listen to them. And he is incredible. I actually do think you would like him quite a lot. And I have one more thing. Again, I joke about wrestling a lot, but the Bloodline storyline, this gaslighting storyline that's going on in wrestling and it, it watch wrestling. I know, yeah, it's fake, just like everything else you watch, but the storyline, Sami Zayn had a storyline just recently that made me cry at the end of the match it was like wow you really feel the passion of sammy Zayn's wife deserves an emmy nomination mm. just because of the way she was acting during his match mm. and again i am gonna make dylan a huge wrestling fan that's my goal for 2024 okay dylan there's this guy named maxwell jacob freeman he's about to be in the iron claw movie his thing is he doesn't break character. 
And people know this about him. So they pay money for him to insult them. Like someone came in a wheelchair to an autograph signing and he went, you know what? I'm going to do something special for you. He stood up and gave the guy a standing ovation. And the guy paid him money and got his autograph. That is wild. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I will say, maybe the Iron Claw movie will do it. Sometimes you got to show me a movie in order to get me to get into something. So I'm hoping, because I'm very excited for the Iron Claw movie. The Iron Claw, Larry, is the Von Erichs movie. Oh, nice. No, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I've someone described it as the male version of the Virgin Suicide, and which watch I, the Dark Side of the Ring special about them on Tubi. Yeah, I I actually did do the research, so I actually now know everything that kind of happened in it, and I cannot believe that all happened to one family. It's horrifying. Horrifying. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got like so many great actors. Zac Efron's obviously the biggest top bill in it, um, but. Um, it look. I've heard it's absolutely like a knockout. It's incredible. Um, watch me watch that, and I'll be and I'll be texting Eric. I'll be like, "So where do I start?" <laughs> <laughs> well, what is this kayfabe they speak of? Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, Larry. Um, Larry uh, well, how about yourself? Um, what got you into film, and what are you recommending for viewers? Oh man, um, I think you know. Obviously, Star Wars. I I I I remember watching indiana jones and i think this is one of the reasons i really like steven spielberg but there's something about indiana jones where i literally carried a whip around i don't know how many years and i would and and it, it always fascinated me because you know how indiana jones would just throw his whip and it would wrap and he would be able mm -hmm. to swing to safety and I, I don't care how many times I tried to wrap a whip around a tree branch or a, my my grand my grandpa had a, a green work truck and he had um where it was scaffolding on top. Oh right? yeah, I know exactly. And so I would take that whip and I go whoosh, and wrap it around and try to climb up the truck. I would fall. I don't know how many times, but I think that really started being in that world of of I don't know just like letting go and and being creative and maybe into acting um I do know that when when I decided to go to LA um I had been in a because throughout so I switched because high school football is here in big in Texas right so so I played football I wasn't <laughs> If anybody knows me, knows how little I am, I was. They put me as a nose guard. Are you serious? I am dead serious. And and how? What and, were the other guys like? If you're dude, they nose were guard. giant, and you know, like linemen, they're big. <laughs> I mean, big. And and you know, one of the things that there was halftime, and the coach looked at me, and goes, and it was like a Rudy moment. He's like, look at look at Sands. He's just throwing himself at these at these linemen. He's going, what are you guys doing? And I thought to myself, this is cool, but I'll probably never be in the NFL. And so I switched to to theater arts and I was sitting, I was a senior and it was like our, our last play or one of the plays. It was like dinner theater thing. And I was sitting in psychology and um, 
the teacher had gone to the dinner theater, right? And she, in class, she dropped a note and she goes, there's something about you. You did so good. I don't know what it is. But she said, just keep, you know, being you. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Then I went to college for music. And then I was like, ah, I went to Waco. And I was like, man, I, there's something about, you know, being an actor. So that's when I went to, to California to do the acting thing. Um, I always, you know, like inspired. I talk a lot about Brad Pitt, Johnny Depp and stuff. Man, if I was half as handsome as those guys, I'd be I'd I'd be living in Hollywood. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But but those those were my inspirations um for acting and then I think because we talk a lot on the podcast about like uh filmmakers and I I there's there is something about Steven Spielberg and the not the simpleness but he does it's like a no frills thing you know yeah. I mean when you look at like Raiders and even before like all CGI stuff and and just working with uh I love going to Universal Studios work there I love but going in on the backlot tour and half the tour is because of Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. I just finally took that tour for the first time this year. Really? Yeah. I was, uh, for, for Taylor Swift, baby. I was staying a couple of, I stayed a couple of extra days, played tours when I was in LA. Um, and I went and I was like, I want to go to universal because I've never done the backlot tour. Um, and you know, I had a great time. I got to see yeah. the shining house. I mean, no, psycho. Man, psycho house, fake <laughs> yeah. man. Don't know why I said that. Did you uh, know I that have seen the shining house. I have been to the shining house. Yes, um, but, uh, uh, so yeah, I just did the backlog tour also. So, um, but yeah, um, what would you recommend, um, for listeners out there, uh, that you've watched per- that particularly this year that you have found? Has don't laugh, out? Dylan. I'm an, I'm not gonna laugh. You don't laugh either. Anything but Thirty Day Fiance, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look. Okay, look, look. Honestly, I I'm starting to make a little bit more time trying to stop it. You know, a decent hour to go sit and watch movies. Um, I I really like Asteroid City. Um, hey! That was great. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It begin um, a theory of mine that I'm going to mention after you talk. Well, so one of the things, because, you know, when I sit and work, I listen to music and and I love my daughter because she's so hip and she's so without trying to be. And yeah, OK, so I grew up with her watching SpongeBob and, you know, the Wiggles, all these Teletubbies. And, oh, yeah. And I love Sponge SpongeBob, but. And I love One Direction because of her, right? And because my dad liked he liked Guns and Roses because of me. So I she turned me on to Harry Styles. She turned it on. I and every time I sit down, I tell like Alexa, she'll probably turn on. But I say play Harry Styles. Every time I go for a walk, I listen to Harry Styles. And I'm kind of stuck on Harry Styles, but every time Megan comes home for the holidays or whenever. She always has like now she's into Taylor Swift. So every time I hear like Taylor Swift or or Harry Styles, I text her and go, hey, um, guess what I'm listening to? And it's just that those are the things. But I really I'm taken aback by Harry Styles. I think the same way that you, Dylan, are taken back 
by Taylor Swift, their honesty in their music. Mm-hmm. And, and I love, I love Harry Styles for that because I don't necessarily follow him, but I follow him in his music. Yeah. And I think, I think he's written most all of his songs. I think maybe I haven't even looked I into think that but solo every, career. Everything. And if not, he's working with the best of oh, the best. And the there's best. nothing wrong with that. The best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just the, his, the, the phrasing, the music, it's not straightforward. There's always something. Every song to me is different. And that's what I love. Oh, about yeah everything about everything creative everything is different everything you can hear it 20 times and still pick out something new so yeah harry styles is the man at the moment <laughs> i love that for you so much because i love harry styles i i listen to harry's house baby all the time okay you. satellites yeah. put it on baby we're going yes yeah yes, um yes and yeah I and I, my spotify playlist because it's gonna be harry styles i oh, love that God. for you i'm actually worried that Taylor Swift might not be my number one artist this year um <laughs> really that's gonna be a that's gonna be a first uh because I think MCR is going to be mine because I haven't listened to the new Blink album that much. Okay. Yeah, I think mine is actually going to be Noah Khan. Uh, oh, I think I've been good. listening to a lot of yeah. him. I, I even went and saw him in concert too early this year. Oh, cool. um, oh, and he put out an album. Um, and y'all know I love family dysfunctions. I hated yeah. the town i grew up in so and that's all that his album has entire is entirely about it's about growing up in a town that you hate and just it's just pretty much shit talking that mm-hmm. and i just connected so damn well yeah. to that stick season album uh he's all he's from up north he's from the uh vermont uh okay. area so he talks a lot about New Vermont and New England. So he lived right on that like borderline. So he constantly, well, so he, you know, talks a lot about that. Um, and he has songs like Paul Revere and Growing Sideways. And uh, he has a lot, song called um, New Perspective, which is literally about like uh, people who get like, what if you see people in, in a town, what, how do you feel when you look at somebody, you see somebody who's actually thriving in a small town and how it just kind of pisses you off and you want to, in a sense, bring them back to their new perspective because all they have is a target on the interstate and they're mm-hmm. acting like it's like, you know, so I, I, I love him. I love him. So Nothing he might- wrong with that, by the way, if you want exactly. a target, you're the man. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. And, so he might actually be my number one Spotify listener uh, this year. Uh, and, and and speaking of that, I I like just got into him because of the Post Malone song because I like Post Malone. And here's here's a crazy Kyle thing. Drunk goes so hard. Here's, I love that song. Here is here's a crazy thing, and I just thought about this. So like, I love so Rockstar the radio edit. Yeah, this is this is, this is crazy. The radio edit, me and me and Mega would be like, I've been living like a rock star. And then every time I hear the radio edit, I would text Megan and be like, hey, guess what I'm listening? I've been living like a And then I heard the un radio edit. I was like, what the f- is this? <laughs> me and Megan are like bonding over this. <laughs> but, it, but, but, it, but it's so funny, but but that's who we are. Yeah. And and you know, I think I think that's what art music books 
acting, filmmaking is supposed to be. And much like kind of look like us tonight. I mean, talking about a myriad of different things that have brought us together and just like let it rip. And this yeah. is this is one for the ages. This is one for the ages, man. Yeah, 200 episodes, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yes. So I hope that you got to just listen to us in a sense, shoot the shits for, you know, yeah. uh, for a, a good while, have a good time. Um, you know, um, I'll keep mine very short. It's Friday 13. Friday 13 is what got me into it. It was the first horror film I ever saw. And I recommend everybody watch Saltburn. Uh, I just saw it last night. It's my favorite movie I've seen all year. I'm obsessed with it. All movies would benefit if they were a lot more horny. In my that's my that's my two cents. Every movie just needs to be a lot more horny these days. Amen. Uh, it is a new talented Mr. Ripley meets Cruel Intentions. Oh wow! Uh, it is it is pretty much a guy. Uh, he's a nerd. He reads books. Uh, Barry Keoghan. He uh, plays he'll play the Joker and, you know, DC's Joker. And we're talking about Matt Reeves Joker. He's, uh, that's that actor. Um, he goes to a mansion 1%. Um, and, uh, he pretty much gets to live the lifestyle like the great Gatsby, but, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I saw it last night and I have not stopped thinking about it. It is, it is outrageous. It is horny. It is dark. It is twisted. It is so me. Uh, and it was the type of movie that I'm pretty sure if other people were to watch it under my recommendation, not knowing me, they would lock me in a insane asylum because <laughs> I felt just like uh, dirty it is. It's from the director of Promising Young Woman. Uh, it's her okay. new film. So what, that would uh, be my streaming platform is that on? It's going to actually be an Amazon film when it comes out. So right now it oh, it's is so the, sad. That's the first question you asked. Right? Yeah, yeah. But so it's it's getting a theatrical run because unlike Good. Netflix, Amazon does put out movies in theaters. They do. So they do. So it's going to get, and I do believe it's going to be their Oscar race film. I do not think it's. I think the Oscars and the Academy are just two pussies to actually nominate a film like this. If I'm being honest, because of how risque and um dirty it is but uh like it has it just it just is a film that's unapologetically itself and it goes for broke uh it is definitely not a film you would want to watch with megan uh it is a very very sort of hard r cruel intentions talented mr ripley where you've got somebody who's not in the one percent entering into the world of the one percent and how that and they get to live this sort of great gaspy lifestyle of sex rock and roll parties every night uh but are they just as but are they a body mind and soul uh are they and maybe perhaps an unreliable narrative that we're following here who knows it is from the director of promising young woman so uh it has roseman pike it has jacob alordi uh carrie mulligan uh, just an, an amazing cast and it is just i am obsessed with it uh it is easily my favorite movie of the year so that was what i it comes out thanksgiving not the type of movie you want to go see with your family on thanksgiving but i hope people do for the shits and giggles of it all so i do want to wrap this up because uh i have a feeling you've probably skimmed some of this if you have been listening this whole time um and uh but yes this is our 200 episode i hope you learned a little bit about us uh we i love these guys and right back at you man yeah, I love these guys. What's so cool about it is we are all 
different in so many different ways, but we always, you know, we, we love working with each other and talking and stuff like that. Um, Love you, Dylan. Thank you, man. Love you guys. Thank you. you. And I I think, I think the minutes ran with the show. So it's like 200th show, 200th minute. So I think so. Yeah. I love it. I love, but that's the way it is. When you get to get, when you get us together, this is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you. Love you, brother. Love you guys. Well, everybody, thank you so much. And you know, I, I think me and Larry promise we're going to actually put effort into the next 100 episodes. We're going to try. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>